Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from Western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Okay, so you, Scott, come to your senses, uh, laying out on the side of a, a scorching hot desert road. You can feel in one hand like gravel as you're kind of trying to ground yourself in your surroundings. There is uh, sand laden wind that is like whipping across your face and stinging you. Uh, you see two figures standing before you, uh, silhouetted against the sunlight that's high in the sky. Uh, one of them is much smaller in stature. This individual steps forward and you see that uh, she is a gnome, minty sort of green hair uh, in all sorts of ratty braids. And uh, she stands before you with this uh, tall, sort of long triangular prism made of ironwork. She steps forward and shoves this object into your face. Um... Are you a fighter or a mage, Scott? Mage. Okay. Uh, so you are kind of racking your brain, trying to think of uh, any sort of spell that might uh, either free you from this uh, moment, uh, put up some sort of defense. Uh, but as she gets closer, you feel your senses kind of go blank again as she holds this object to your face. There's a pulsing heat radiating off of it. Uh, and you hear her say, mm, No, I don't. I don't think this is the guy. I don't know. Who who, who are you? Uh, this feeling reminds me of that time I drank the spoiled yak milk. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, uh, uh, Professor, Professor Reginald. And, and you? Um, I th- I'm pretty sure this is definitely not him. And the, th- uh, the smaller figure turns to this other individual who now steps forward. You see this female air genasi, uh, powder white hair kind of fluttering around her face, uh, wearing like a longer coat uh, and a cream colored gambler that's kind of cocked on the side of her head. Uh, and she says, we don't have time for this. The vultures are coming. If he's not who we need. Uh, and you see, uh, she shrugs an arm and in a single deft movement, she flicks a thumb across her palm and the brass knuckles that you had seen uh, come into view as she stepped forward uh, now seem to also be attached to some sort of pistol in her hand. Uh, and she kind of grins at you as she pops another metallic tube out of her pocket and affixes it to the end of this pistol, pointing it towards your face. What do you do? That's one of the new models, isn't it? I recognize it with the filigree around the barrel. Usually not this close to the barrel, though. Uh, Friends? The Genasi kind of grins at you. Oh, he's funny. (laughs) It's too bad. Uh, The gnome throws both of her hands up. No, no, wait, 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 wait. His name is not in the book. We can't kill him yet. It's against the rules. The Genasi sighs very heavily. Uh... And in that moment, she kind of uh, reaches up and grabs the Genasi's free hand. Um, and looking back at you, the gnome says, okay, buddy, best of luck. Um, 
you're gonna see me sooner than you think. And with a wink, you see these black uh, wings sprout out of her back and the two of them disappear in a wisp of black smoke. I don't suppose I could get a lift out of the desert. Uh, well, I kind of pick myself up, dust off my cloak and my back and kind of stretch a bit. And well, I think there was a town about 15, 20 miles back. <sighs> Time to get moving. And I take out my alchemy jug and whisper water. And I just start walking. Class is in session, and today we're throwing out all the rules and making some of our own. As always, I'm your host, Scott White, also known as Professor RPG, and this week I have the pleasure of welcoming to the university, coming highly recommended, an actual play podcaster, dungeon master and player, and self-proclaimed daddy hag extraordinaire, Chris Gideon, to talk all about homebrew. How's it going, Chris? <laughs> uh, it's going wonderful. This is, a uh, yeah. Uh, Daddy Hag's having a good day today. There you go. Uh, what is, uh, how do you rise to the level of Daddy Hag extraordinaire? Like, what makes you extraordinaire? Uh, you know what, Scott? It's a matter of uh, how bad you want it, really. Um, I'm just kidding. I've heard uh, that before. <laughs> no. Um, I, what started out as a joke has, like, inadvertently become a little bit of my brand, but I wear it with a badge of pride because uh, it's from a community that I that I dearly love. So, <laughs> Uh, yeah, if that's how you get that title, if you're wondering. Awesome. That That's awesome. But yes, we are here to talk about homebrew, homebrew items, homebrew settings, magic items, mm-hmm. rules, mechanics, anything that you create in your head that isn't down in a rule book. That's what we're talking about. So before we get into all that goodness, Chris, where did you get your nerd start? Take us through a bit of your nerd history. Oh, my gosh. Um could fill volumes. I will say um, specifically regarding the topic of this particular episode, I have been world building since I was a kid. Um, I was a huge writer. Um, like in junior high, I was penning novels. So I this comes very naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of tabletop, that didn't come to me until adulthood. Um, the closest I got was in high school. I had just transferred to a public high school and like saw these guys playing Magic the Gathering. And I was like, that seems nerdy and cool. I want to get in on it. And they did not want to teach me. Uh, I think it was like a boys club type of a thing, whatever. Uh, So it wasn't until, I don't know, five, four, five, some years ago uh, that a friend of mine that I worked with was like, hey, I'm into this thing. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. If you want to like hang out and check it out. So I was like, okay. Uh, and session one was like, how do I do this forever? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is my new favorite way of life. Yeah. How do I do this all day, every day until I die? Um, so I was, I was pretty gung ho from the start. Um, and it's just, it has snowballed into where I am now. Awesome. That's yeah. It's, it's a, this, this hobby, this life of, tabletop creating world building and everything. I'm a big, I'm like you. I love the, the lore building and world building aspect of tabletop and RPGs in general. But what was your first character? What's, what's the first character you made back, back in that session one? Um, yeah. So I guess technically the first character I built, I didn't really get to play. She was a sun elf monk. The first character I built and played and like fell 
deeply in love with it with was um, actually my second character, a little um, a halfling shepherd druid um, named Harmonio. Uh, just the sweetest of all sweet beans. Um, so yeah, that was probably my first, my, my true love. They sit on like a hallowed shelf <laughs> in my heart. Yeah. The, those early characters always, always stick with you. Uh, I feel, um, so that's where you got your start with tabletop. Where are you like, what are, what have you turned that hobby into? Like, what do you, what do you do now for people that might not uh, be familiar with your work and stuff? Um, yeah, I am sort of, I have my hands in a lot of cookie jars. Um, I do a, um, podcast. I'm a full-time cast member of a podcast called Fave Forge Academy. Um, so it is a, uh, a 5e based AP and it's set at a magical school, which was homebrewed by the bad DM. Um, super fun show, incredible cast. So I've been doing that for a while. I'm also on, um, the free forge. There is an actual play we do over there, which is another, um, a homebrew system by the D and D who, um, listeners should recognize that name. Um, but, uh, that's stay alive. And that's like a a post-apocalyptic kind of, uh, horror survival thing. Um, but I have also done some writing. So, um, I recently completed my first contract project, um, which was really exciting. And I've done um, some writing on adventures kind of here and there with different larger projects. So that's been um, super neat. I've also been DMing offline and I'm like, I'm in a place now where I'm like, okay, I'm going to see if I can do this in a streamed or, or, um, you know, produced capacity. So that's kind of where I am with that side of things. How cool. How cool. And yes, uh, we've I've had Mindy on twice, once with just on her own and once with uh, Deej to talk about uh, Free Forge. And I'm very familiar with a Forge Academy and, and the Bad DM. Very, very exciting. So with Homebrew and especially with your experience writing and creating for like a published piece, what's kind of that processor to develop what in essence becomes real or like published no longer homebrew it's like gosh not gospel but like yeah published work yeah what's that process like um so i would say that i mean it's hard to say i think what the process looks like from a writing perspective because everybody does homebrew differently some people start with a thread on this end and kind of weave left and some people start on the other side and weave right so um as far as it goes like i don't even things that are published i don't consider gospel or or i don't even you know because everything that's written even what's like you know wizards of the coast approved or what have you it is all, I mean, somebody made it. So just, yeah. Um, publishing gives us a common framework and a common understanding of like the rules and how things work. Um, but it is just as malleable as anything else. So, um, I would say that in that vein, I don't really see a huge difference between the two other than one has had significantly more eyes on it. (laughs) They're like speed limit signs. They're (laughs) guideposts. Suggestions. Right. Suggestions. Exactly. Exactly. So with homebrew, I mean, you could spend entire episodes and like hours talking about just homebrewing and creating an entire world. You Mm -hmm. could on magic items or mechanics and stuff. Mm -hmm. What have been 
like you mentioned being a big writer and even from an early age, world building and penning novels. What's kind of been your. Do you have like a magnum opus of a world that you're crafting that just you constantly add to or do you make little worlds and it's like, oh, I have this idea for another one and then jump over to there. Like what's. Yeah. What's a, um, a world you've created? So I I do have a, a homebrew world that I have been building um, for uh, a few years now. Uh, and my approach to kind of getting that started was just doing a bunch of research. I watched endless like mm-hmm. Dale King's mill videos. And like um, I even watched some of that was when I got introduced to critical role as well. So I kind of watched some of like the, they had those old, what were those things called? The like handbooker helper things they used to do. Oh, I love the handbooker helper. Yeah, episode, yeah. Um, but like Matt Colville and like, just so that's how I kind of, started the process was to just to give me an idea of like what I needed to create in order for people to interact with it. Cause up until that point, mm-hmm. everything that I had created and written was like stationary. It was, it was not dynamic yeah. or, or changeable uh, other than by myself. So, um, I have been working on that homebrew world for a long time. And my favorite part about my approach to what I've done so far is every campaign I run, I find a way either the premise itself or the place where they are to plug it in and make it fit. Uh, and in doing so the players and the campaigns, like they write the lore for me. Um, mm-hmm. so I, the longest, I have a two year campaign going right now that is set in a specific point in the timeline. And then I, um, like I ran a short term campaign that was set like 300 years before that campaign took place. And they laid so many, like, so many little hooks into place for me that I don't now I can just reference that other campaign that I ran. So I kind of have created it in such a way that it builds on itself. The more that we interact with it. Yeah. That's so funny. You mentioned that because I'm also running about a two year long campaign in my own world. And then I had a smaller mini shot where people played uh, characters about 30 or so years, but like having them add to it and, it's so exciting. Like how big I have a Google doc where I put lore kingdoms, everything like mm-hmm. that. How big's your Google doc? How big's your doc? Um, it's more how big's my drive because I am, I am a little nitpicky. So I do, I'm, I have at least organized most things into their own document. Um, I do have a world anvil and I do firmly believe in them, but sometimes my ADHD doesn't let me put information in two places. Yeah. So, um, I have a world anvil that, um, I do use for like world timelines and pantheons and things like that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I have several different Google docs and notes on my phone and just <laughs> anywhere I can get information down. It's somewhere. When does the inspiration usually strike you? Like when you add, like think of stuff, because for me, it's either when I'm in the shower, like listening to random anime soundtracks mm-hmm. Or it's at like 1130 at night as I'm trying to go to sleep and it's like, oh, I really need to remember this for tomorrow Mm -hmm. or write it down. But yeah, like when does the inspiration for your homebrew strike you? Because I feel like it's different for everybody. Um, I do think it's different for everybody, but it might be the same for us that it strikes at the most inopportune moments. Um, I'm laughing because like literally two days ago. I was up until like three or four in the morning because despite every attempt to try to make myself go to sleep, I was like Mm -hmm. designing an entire fake court system in my head, like having arguments with myself. 
Yeah. In which I was like, Chris, please go to bed. And I was like, but what if, okay, here's the thing. What if we pull like the genies in him? And I was just like, oh yeah. my gosh. So yeah. it, it happens a lot of time at night. Um, I have been told uh, that I DM, I, I have DM'd games in my sleep. I've heard <laughs> reports the next morning of me uh, running combat in my sleep. Um, so I, I don't know if it ever really turns off for me, but I've gotten a little better at channeling it so that like when mm-hmm. inspiration strikes, I have a system where I either make a note to go back to it or I just sit down and do it. Yeah. What's an aspect of your world that you are like really proud of or like you're really kind of excited about or um, uh, the inner working, something interesting of the inner working of your world and kind of your history? Um, I would say that I don't know if it's necessarily unique because and I'm, I'm, I'll touch on this a little bit later. I'm not as, yeah. I'm not very familiar with a lot of like standard uh, like Forgotten Realms lore or, yeah. you know, even like Pathfinder and things like that. Because um, I've always kind of made it up as I went. So something that I think is a hallmark of of the world that I've built is the relationship between the divine and the mundane um, or, or deities and mm-hmm. and mortals. Um, there's something really like... And, you can feel however you're going to feel about it, you know, in real life. But I think that there's something uh, unique about a setting wherein, like, we know that gods are real because we put them there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if if players want to, like, play with lost faith or doubt or whatever, like, we can definitely build a story around that. But um, I, wa- I want the divine to be as reasonably accessible as possible. Um, and like 5e mechanics just don't really set it up that way. Um, yeah. and so if a player really wants to role play that and, and dig in, then, um, I don't know, that's something that the players that I have had, cause I've had either a cleric or a paladin in every party. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that has really, I don't know, made, I feel like makes games really stand out or those interactions that you don't get to see a lot when you play things very strictly rules as written. Yeah. Uh, and kind of on that thread of rules as written, what's kind of something within those written rules that you either disregard or that you've bent to um, suit you or your campaign or just flat out? I'm not going to do it this way. I want to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like on a micro level, there's certainly small, probably fairly common um things that I do that other DMs do where like, I don't, um, in terms of mechanics, I don't make people like use an action to switch their weapon and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that. Um, it's, that's so, that's a little too crunchy for me. Um, so there's like things like that, that I think are fairly common, like, uh, nat ones and twenties on skill checks are not auto failures or, or successes. Um, uh, things like that. So, there is that. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are good ones. Do you what about uh, encumbrance? How, what's your thought on encumbrance? I don't mess with it. I also like don't care about coin weight. I don't. Yeah. Unless I have a group of players and I probably won't run a game like this for fun. But if I had a game like if I, mm. as a paid DM, they were like, we really want to track every copper piece that comes in and out of the I'm like, OK, fine, we'll do that. But 
I don't care really about most of that stuff. Uh, I don't yeah. care about tracking ammo unless that's something that you as a player just want to do. Feel free. I'm mm-hmm. not going to stop you. If you want me to penalize you, if you don't have arrows, cool. All right. But I'm not going to uh, yeah. make that my standard. So, um, yeah, I don't bother with encumbrance unless they're like, we want to lug this like 10 foot iron statue out of here. I'm like, yeah. okay, well, <laughs> Let's see you try. But otherwise, I don't care if they're carrying like a bunch of extra stuff in their backpack. Who cares? Yeah, I'm the same way. It's you get when you get so bogged down with those specifics like, oh, I'm sorry, you have X amount of weight because you have this. It's like I feel like it detracts a lot from at least in my case. Some people might love those number crunching, but detracts from that fun. But like Mm -hmm. you said, if they want to do something truly outrageous or dude, you have an entire like forge smith's supply of items you stole you're going to be slowed down a bit right um but yeah and like with weapon ammo counts and stuff like if they want to buy special types of ammo i make them count that but generic ammo things like that yeah exactly it's like whatever um yeah it's it's so interesting to talk to all sorts of different players because you like you said you'll have your very kind of traditional standard rules like your ammo count or not or not tracking ammo count or encumbrance but then so many times I'll find players that tweak thing other rules or have incorporated something totally different that I'd never heard about. What's been have you ever encountered a mechanic or a system or, or something like that or something that you've designed that you haven't necessarily seen somewhere else that you uh, want to share? Um, in terms of mechanics, I mean, I don't think I've reinvented the wheel in any capacity. And I think um, that's that's pretty hard to do these days. Um, mm-hmm. I have kind of adopted the mindset that, like, because of the type of game that I want to play, um, which for me is a narrative focused game. Um, The story to me is more motivating than the mechanics. That's not the case for everybody. And kind of like you said, like Mm -hmm. if you want to crunch on every detail in this game, feel free because it is set up for you to do that. So that's not a wrong way to play, but that doesn't resonate with me. Um, So from that operating from that mindset, I, I don't, if it makes sense for the story, I feel like you can change just about anything. Um, And so there's probably a lot of small things that I would do or things that I would call in game um, that might, I guess, not fit that mold. Um, But in Mm -hmm. terms of like a new mechanic, I haven't really developed anything. I have a friend, um, a friend and I are writing a, um, like a kind of indie short, pick it up and play uh, type of Mm -hmm. RPG. Um, about uh, running a bed and breakfast. So we kind of made up some fun little like tables and and mechanics for that. But um, in terms of like a major system where I've made a new rule or, or introduced some new way of doing things, I can't really, I don't think I really have done anything that to that degree. Yeah. um, One of the things that I've introduced in, in my game kind of playing off and letting the character or the players kind of role play and flesh out their characters a bit more was, I don't know how familiar you are with like video game RPGs and whatnot, but it, there's one called Chrono Trigger, very popular mm-hmm. Square Enix RPG that has like cross attacks and duo attacks. So I have allowed my players to like talk amongst themselves and create double attacks where they pair up and do some sort of really cool thing once oh, per neat. day. Yeah. Um, and really just, hey, 
you can have like one per person at your level come up with something that you want to do that you think would be cool. Um, and that's been really fun seeing what my players kind of go and think up. And uh, I like that. That has like big powered by the apocalypse vibes. Like, like they have like a move or like a rule set where you can, that's super neat. Um, so yeah, like one of them like throws the ax and the other has a whip. So she'll like grab onto the whip or the thrown ax and just spin it around. So it's like, turns it into like a giant area of effect, just slashing. Move. Oh my gosh, that sounds lethal. Um, Oh, it, it's, <laughs> it's sounds ruinous. <laughs> um, but it's like, and it goes, this goes back to, this goes back to a whole nother topic with homebrew. It's how do you balance these things? And I think yeah. that's a big consideration that, a lot of people, uh, I think the idea in concept for a lot of game masters or dungeon masters and players to homebrew something, they don't necessarily take into account how game breaking something mm-hmm. could be. And they just introduce it because it's cool, mm-hmm. which has its place, I think, like for one shots, rule of cool, no real consequence. But when you have a prolonged campaign, like our two plus year campaign, right. much more thought has to go into it. Right. So how do you how do you approach um, balancing when you create a homebrew item or things for your world? Yeah. Um, so my immediate thought is that, like, it's it is tricky to to balance something that's not built for you. That's like included within, you know, the confines of what the original creator has made. Um, mm-hmm. But also the the even common magic items like something as simple as um a paper bird in my homebrew instance can can be abused and blown out of the water if your party is creative so i would say um there's probably no perfect balance to any one particular item or mechanic uh because if mm-hmm. you have a creative enough player or party they are going to figure out how to make the rules work in their favor and they yeah. definitely should i love when that happens um my players use use paper birds as like tracking devices so they will write somebody's name on a piece of paper and i listen whatever but that's what they do players. now <laughs> uh, so they just always have paper birds on hands and i was like yeah sure i probably should put some parameters around that more than what was written but whatever um in terms of like you know if you're homebrewing monsters or items um what my kind of standard go-to is I, I think about like, okay, what do I want the purpose to be in the narrative or in this encounter mm-hmm. uh, for this item or this, this creature or whatever. Um, and I look to see if it already exists uh, and if it already exists, but it doesn't really fit what I want it to do, then I kind of start taking the stat block apart and and playing with it a little bit. And uh, depending on your comfort level, that can be as simple as like changing out damage types. Like maybe it usually yeah. does bludgeoning damage, change it to piercing and just make the monster look slightly different, whatever, you know? So yeah. there's simple fixes like that. Um, but you can also like really get creative about abilities, um, but using the skeleton, which is why I love the way D&D Beyond has done the they have like a homebrew section you can use that mm-hmm. helps you build off of the skeleton of something that exists. Like, again, one of the rules of thumbs I always tell people when they talk about, you know, DMing to me is that like there is no need to try and like reinvent the wheel. Like if yeah. something good exists, take it and twist it up and make it your own. Um 
obviously this isn't like uh, for private homebrew settings, don't take somebody else's work and then pass it off as your own. And yeah. especially in like, you know, give credit where credit is due, especially in like a produced capacity. But, um, but yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with taking something that exists and, and putting your own spin on it. Yeah. It's, it, I think, and I think, especially for people that want to start off right. getting into homebrew, starting with, like you said, adjusting a damage type or ramping up the health a bit, or maybe adding an additional die to damage, little things like that. Start there before you jump into, I'm going to create a hippo chimera that has all these different stat <laughs> blocks and can fly for some it's reason. To all and, elemental damage. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say also though, for like, for me, I make big story pieces out of, you know, sometimes specific items or locations. Mm-hmm. And so when I do that, I don't, this might be bad advice. I really don't worry about balance. Like I yeah. put a few things in place and if the party supersedes my expectations and blows it out of the water, then they deserve that win. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm not worried about in terms of being overpowered. Uh, I try to be judicious. I don't, I don't like to pull punches because I feel like if there's no consequences to things, it's not fun. But, um, I try to be mindful of that. Like if I start an encounter and I'm like, oh, I really didn't account for the fact that my party are all casters. So this creature, while it should have been balanced for a more balanced party Mm -hmm. because of the composition of my players, you know. I didn't account for this and they're going to get murdered in a turn. So sometimes I'll have to make quick on the fly, like adjustments. Yeah. Behind the GM screen. They'll never know the difference. It's like, I meant to do that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's exactly what I had intended the entire time. Right. Um, Yeah. Those on those on the, on the moment uh, adjustments because of a, Oh, I fucked up. I fucked up bad. uh, Are always, fun to to know and have to have the knowledge that my players will never know those are (laughs) (laughs) um what do you think is the most difficult thing to homebrew um i think that really depends on i really think that depends on the world builder or the dm like for me Mm -hmm. personally something i struggle with is um like really complex uh, political intrigue and like very complex systems of government. That stuff's mm-hmm. not easy for me, uh, just cause it's not a natural interest of mine. So that's challenging for me, but, um, there are other systems that, or, or, or mechanics that are much easier and more fluid. So I think mm-hmm. it depends on the person. Uh, some people that I have spoken to really struggle with, uh, like what you mentioned earlier, just combat encounters and making it fair, making it mm-hmm. engaging at the same time. Um, so I just, I think it depends on the world builder. Um, and I would say that if something is, if there is something that you want to write or build or create that seems out of reach, Honestly, the best place to start, like I said, is is see what's already yeah. out there and see if it resonates with your idea. If it if it does take whatever pieces you need to help you build something that's more unique to your your setting. But um, it's always a good idea to like go back and see what has been laid before you, like what hard work has been done so that you don't have to and then go from there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's cool sounding names, like cool sounding yeah. MacGuffin names. That is like, okay, what sounds fantasy-esque enough, but not like too fantasy or generic. Mm-hmm. But 
generators. Yeah. <laughs> generators. All. Generators. Yep. <laughs> yep. Generators are great. I use those for recently. I did a, a homebrew murder mystery on a train kind of thing for nice. my players kind of as a filler art before they get to the next one. And yeah, I use some name generators for that. But uh, yeah, it's it's been fun kind of crafting going back to kind of the world aspect, really homebrewing a world because there's and I, I'm sure you can attest to this as well. There's so much branching that happens like you'll have one idea and then, oh, but this means that this could happen mm-hmm. or this could happen like the the branching aspect and then how one idea will lead to another, which will <laughs> yeah. lead to three more ideas. Yeah. It's like, oh, write all these down must expand upon them later. Yep. Yeah. It's, um. I feel like when I try to even just explain what's going on in my homebrew world, I'm the like the living embodiment of that Charlie gif where he's like pointing at the red. There's like all the papers behind him. That's what it feels like sometimes when you're doing homebrew, because because if you really want to start something from scratch, if that's something that like brings you joy and fulfillment, you absolutely should. But but I would encourage I always encourage people to be forgiving with themselves. Like Mm -hmm. it took us thousands upon thousands of years to build the actual world's history. So like, you're not going to do it in a month. You're not going to build a deeply complex, multi-layered homebrew world in like in 30 days. So uh, build what you need in order to feel confident running your game. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's helpful, especially for new DMs or new world builders to talk to their players and be like, how deep do you want to go with this? Like, are you just wanting to, uh, kind of hack and slash across something a little more surface level, or do you want to like have political intrigue or have intimate relationships with people either in the party or the world, getting an idea of what your players, how deep they're wanting to go will help you understand how much you need to have in place as a foundation to make you feel like Mm -hmm. you can go off the cuff in those moments and just do it, build as you go. Yeah. And I think so many issues with tabletop RPGs games can be solved just by listening to your players and don't try to force them into a road they don't necessarily want. So like communication between the the game masters and the players is so paramount to any good campaign feedback on both sides. Hey, did you all like this? What didn't you like? How would you Mm -hmm. change? I think it has served me so well in my games. And it sounds like for you as well, um, in with crafting your world and with the narratives in your homebrew world do you how do you approach the storytelling do you have like story beats like story arcs generalized that you would you want to put them through and then if they end up how they'll end up they will but like the big bad do you know who kind of the big bad you want to be at the end will be um so (laughs) This is a really good question. Um, I started this particular world by building out. I was like, okay, this is the kind of adventure I want to run. I want it to be about this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put a few extra things in the background um, and I'll, I'll set it here. So I built, you know, this entire world based around this one adventure on this one continent uh, in this one particular town. So I kind of started at a micro level and like built upward and outward. Um but the hook that was laid before my players, they immediately disregarded, um, yeah. as is, I think, uh, as they any, do. any good, any DM uh, who has DM'd more than a single session will know. Uh, yep. Yeah. So um, 
then it, then my strategy really changed about like how I was going to flesh things out for them. Um, over the last two years, I learned about this particular group of players. They're very motivated by backstory oriented stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. not every player that's played for me is they like backstories. Like, okay, now I have, I know who my character is, but they don't want to play with it. They don't want to interact with it. That's fine. Uh, so they're more interested in hooks that I put forward, but for this particular Mm -hmm. group, which was the first group that I have really used to flesh things out. Um, they're really more influenced by their own and each other's backstories. So, um, I sort of took each player, um, they all five requested that I take the back, like the bones of what they gave me and flesh mm-hmm. something out. So I was like, are you cool with me doing whatever? And they were like, we're cool. I was like, are you sure? And they were like, we're cool. So, yeah. Um, I have built basically my entire world based on all of those, like you said, those threads that spread out mm-hmm. as you're building from those five backstories. And just with those five people alone have built out enough that like, so I could bring other players into this world and they would interact with some of those threads and then keep building it out kind of like this massive oh, yeah. web. So uh, that's how I did it. But I don't think that there's, like I said, a wrong way. Um, there's also nothing wrong with like, if you want to run an urban campaign and you don't want to build this whole city and this whole city, just take Waterdeep and plug it in. If it's just yeah. you and your friends, Take something that's already made, plug it in and run with it. If you are not the kind of person who wants to build all of those structural systems and you, mm-hmm. you're more like, I want to do NPCs, I want to do stories, I don't want to worry about the backdrop, then take yeah. other people's backdrops and put your story oh, in yeah. it. Yeah. And and I think it's also important for the players that just want to play modules or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't you never have to homebrew if you don't want it. Yeah. It can be daunting and it can lead to Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? Or how, how do I build this or, yeah. or whatnot? You, homebrew is just if you want it. And much like 98% of any tabletop, like tabletop experience, it's whatever you want mm-hmm. it to be. And even though this episode is all about homebrew and like homebrew items and, and things like that, if you don't want to use homebrew, don't use homebrew. That is, right. that's perfect. I mean, that is just as because. Valid. People want to, yeah. <laughs> people just want to hop in and play. And that's, that's right. absolutely okay. Um, but if you're like me and probably like, like you, Scott, where you're like, yeah. the character creator is one of my favorite parts of this video game. <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Homebrew, maybe that's homebrew for you. Yeah. It's um, my biggest thing is setting up kind of nods or like you said, with like my players are big into their backstories and wanting to find out more mm-hmm. and kind of so I've tailored other like side quests or branching narratives that if they go that route, these couple characters will get something yeah. of their but if they go this other side quest, these other characters will mm-hmm. get and then what people pick up on and when you realize when you tie character backstory into big like plot moments that you've come up and the realization of your players kind of the, the light bulb going off that holy crap moment. Yeah. As a, as, as a lore builder, as a GM, as a homebrew creator, there are a few things as gratifying. I feel. Um, yeah. In that moment. Yeah. I would also say too, kind of on that note, um, you um, mentioned like, <sighs> I think that something that is really um, 
exciting about doing homebrew is I feel like I have a very concrete understanding of what's happening in the world because Mm -hmm. all of the pieces I have put into place. Um, And this goes back to kind of this idea of like, just prepare as much as you need. So if you don't have a party of like historians or like people who aren't going to, you know, dig, don't stress Mm -hmm. yourself out about this multi-tier pantheon or whatever. Like just put a few key players in place and run with it. Um, But something else to really keep in mind is that the world in for homebrew to feel dynamic in my opinion, the world has to keep operating in the background. NPCs mm-hmm. have to keep living their lives. Villains have to keep plotting. Um, other conflicts are going to keep happening there that are sometimes outside mm-hmm. of the party's reach. Um, but that's how you keep the world moving with them. I think sometimes yeah. um, I've played more so at tables where the narrative itself and kind of the the setting is treated more like in a video game RPG where the scene Mm -hmm. doesn't trigger until you arrive. And so the world's on pause until your players get there until your person gets there. And then the cutscene happens. Um, So to avoid that sort of stilted Mm -hmm. disconnected sense in your setting, I would say to have a few storylines that even if your players never touch on them, keep in the back of your head, like, okay, I know that this this king yeah. and this other king are, are disputing over this land over here or like, and that's yeah. still ongoing and you don't have to dig any deeper than that. If your players drift in that direction, then you have something to grab onto to reference. If you need to, mm-hmm. they're like, what is it like when we get here? And you can be like, well, you know, you learn now that this is a, apparently a war torn area and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. Yeah. Having things going in the background is it is a little bit more responsibility, but I think it's more rewarding when it feels congruent to you too, and you can just explain it off a cuff. Oh yeah, hands down. And one thing I've always wanted to do, and I want to do with the current world I'm building and with my other players, is have another group of players like run another game, even if it's a multi shot that's running concurrently on another continent, and have their actions be reflected or heard about by the other party, and vice versa. And mm-hmm. I think something like that could be so interesting. And then down the road, eventually pull like an, an end game where the two sides, maybe they're striving for opposite yeah. goals, confront each other. Crossover say, holy crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Holy crap. The, you were, this was happening from real players the whole time. It, like something like that, I think would be so much fun and playing to you. It makes the world feel alive that, yeah, you are doing important things or yeah, you are quote unquote heroes, but you aren't, the only ones you're not the only people that matter in this world yeah right you are not the center of the world um i think would be a lot of fun in and like you mentioned like you've had players in other mini shots take place hundreds of years before the party and how that has ripples through to where your other party is at and Mm -hmm. gets mentioned it's that's the stuff that i that i just eat up it's the ever expanding narrative and like like you mentioned, being able to just drop what you need to and understanding homebrew can be malleable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it can be very fluid, especially when you do just have those little drops in the bucket that you haven't really thought of or fleshed out yet. Maybe one of your players will have an interesting theory. Yeah. It's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I'm going to add that in or or what have you. I think that can be really cool or expand that to magic items or NPCs and yeah, I think sometimes just fluidity. a player's interest in something can spark something yeah. for you. Like 
I would say to especially new world builders, like it, I have a lot of pride in my world, but I don't have so much pride in it that I don't think it couldn't be improved by other people interacting mm-hmm. with it and changing it. So, yeah. um, you know, let your players make significant changes because that also, if you had in real life, this group of like six people in, I don't know, Europe or Africa or something that were doing these godlike things like that information would spread and the world would be thusly affected. So like, you know, in a world where there's groups all over the place like that, or depending on, you know, what your setting is like, um, let people make huge changes that, that may change like the structure of things that you have in place. Because, um, sometimes DMs don't like to admit this, but sometimes players' ideas are better than ours. And so (laughs) there's no shame in being like, you know what, actually, that is what that symbol means. Roll for initiative. <laughs> I meant that the whole time. Yeah. I'm glad you picked up on my undertones I'm there. I'm such a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like, especially with NPCs, I found it's so interesting what player, like what NPCs players will gravitate and grab onto. Oh my and gosh. fall in love with. <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't get it. I feel like if you could crack that code, you like anyone could make millions of dollars. But it's like my party grabbed on to this random farmer boy who tried to <laughs> hit on one of the players because his buddies like uh, hyped him up to ask out one of the party members. Amazing. And it's like he's blossomed into this party <laughs> favorite character yeah. and now like. Through the course of like time travel, things like they in one like one off session, they were inhabited their future selves. So everyone was like level 20 and doing damage. But this one farmer boy character ended up becoming (laughs) like a great wizard and flown back in time. And now there's amazing future future Brady who's doing stuff. But it's like, oh, now there's all these theories. It's like, oh, he's going to marry you or like, oh, and and now the party (laughs) members, whenever they're interacting or they encounter this character, they nudge like the party character. It's like, oh, you should go up and talk to him. Oh, you should do this. Yeah. And it, it's like, what a random thought that just, OK, well, there's this guy named Brady. He comes up and addresses you and, yeah. and it's kind of nervous, that nervous little guy. And now it's 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 magical when they just grab onto something. Yeah. And I think some part of that magic character. is like. Because you're making it together. Nobody had this planned. It's you and your players just riffing off of each other. And there's gold in that that I think is underappreciated sometimes. Um, I had like this mysterious shopkeeper and all these like these NPCs that I tried to kind of like hint might be somebody. And they Mm -hmm. not so many hooks they never bit onto. Um, But I used I I rewarded them for a quest with this magic item that is a treehouse, essentially. And I I got Mm -hmm. the um, it's a a Griffin's saddlebag item. It's a Griffin uh, Mm -hmm. creation. Amazing Uh, magic item creator. So another thing, if you aren't good at making homebrew items, go look for people who are um, and and use them in your world with credit. Uh, But anyway, so the whole thing about this magic item is that this treehouse comes with a dryad and the dryad protects the property. Mm -hmm. It's just a feature of the home. It's not like a thing. And the players like have latched onto this dryad <laughs> as like their personal friends. It's so bizarre. And I had to build out this entire, <laughs> I did like a gender bent, uh, like Peter Pan esque type of dryad individual. And 
So one of my, my druid is so attached to him that she brought home like a book of, he mentioned offhand, he didn't know what an ocean was because he's a a spirit yeah. from a tree. <laughs> so she like <laughs> made it her life's mission to go find him a picture book of, of like art of the ocean. And I was just like, what are we do? What are we doing? <laughs> but it's cute to see yeah. people get attached to something that you, that you all made together. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that I, I love it. And it's always, I feel like these random things that get hooked onto make are the best memories that we will always remember from these games right. that we play in these, these worlds we create and magic items and whatnot. It's, it's special. There's no other hobby like this. And like you said, it's, Whenever you play a game with friends or with players, it's a story only all of you could create mm-hmm. Intel and the the world. Your world is one that only you could create with like your players and everything. And same with mine. And it's yeah, it's it's a special hobby. It's everyone should play it. The world would be a better place if everyone played tabletop. That's what I'm I'm saying. Uh, yeah, because I think that we would be all too busy to do things like war and oppress one another if we're trying yeah. to schedule D&D games, because yeah. as we all know, that's that's usually the thing that takes up the most time and energy. <laughs> oh, hands down. And if six seconds took as long in game as it does in the real world, it's like you could never get anything done. We would just be always rolling dice and waiting no yeah what um, if the world summit was just a massive like D &D, uh yeah exactly we'll just change all the un meetings to larps and i think that that will solve the global crises at hand hands down it'd be fantastic i mean magic missiles are cooler than real missiles i'm just saying (laughs) oh my god (laughs) That's why we don't have magic in this real world. We would not be able to control ourselves. There's no way. Uh, yeah, it would. It would end. It would so, be within so a matter badly. of minutes. The first person to figure out the wish spell would erase the universe. Like there's no, there's no coming back from it. Uh, what's <laughs> what do you if you can make a magic item? Mm-hmm. If you or if you could bring a something that you've created from your world into into ours, what would you? What oh would it my be? gosh, that's a really good question. Um, okay, so <clears throat> oh no, um, I don't know if it is. I would bring probably the the knuckle duster that I made for a um, a campaign I did with some friends over a couple of years. It's a it was something I kind of worked with the DM to create, but uh, since it was my character, I just made this item where it was like brass knuckles, uh, which you might have heard in our open, mm-hmm. uh, and a pistol um, and a blade that like flips out. Uh, and I tried to use my time in that campaign to like upgrade that weapon as I went. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably have that in real life because I would feel like a badass and it would look really cool. Um and I would have the satisfaction of having like built something over time. That's cool. What's the, what's the end form of this knuckle duster? I feel what like can it, I do? I, the oh my gosh, it's not even its final form. Um, some sort of like glove bracer apparatus thing where I have these like attachments I can kind of whip in and out and um, yeah, maybe some sort of magical component so that, you know, you got to upgrade it to at least a plus one or a plus yeah. two at some point. Yeah. Uh, may I suggest giving it rocket punch abilities? <laughs> rocket punch? That'd be amazing. Like, I'm just, just one punch man with the brass knuckles? 
Yeah, it just kind of like detaches and shoots off in rockets. Oh like, you know, like a classic Japanese like mecha anime. Yeah. Like, look at the punch! Yeah, it will just flies out. I love that idea. I love that idea that's going on the list. There you go. Homebrew. That's as easy as it is. It's as easy as that. But we are not the only ones that have come up with and thought of homebrew. So we are going to go to the Tales from the Tabletop. And people have submitted what their favorite homebrews they play with are. We are going to start with user Albion Dave from Reddit. They say, I homebrew a lot of magic items. Most of the treasure the characters find is my homebrewed items. The process for building is generally to take a spell or monster ability and give it to players as a single use or severely limited use way through an appropriate item. My personal favorite was a blindfold with four eye-like gems sewn in around the outside that when worn gave the character a D&D 5 edition feat of alert. When the blind, What the blindfold did was take as much wider view of vision and condense it down, so taking about 270 degrees and fitting it in our normal 120 degree arc. The balancing factor was this made the characters suffer horrible motion sickness for a long time with lots of debuffs that wore off over a period of days whenever the blindfold is put on or taken off. Natural sight benefits such as dark vision are negated as the character isn't using their own eyes anymore. This would be a typical of how this would be typical of how I homebrew an item. Find a benefit, imbue an appropriate item with it, give it balances and downsides, and allow the players to make the choice as to when and if they use it. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of a cool approach. Yeah. And it, it this is like we mentioned early on in Don't Reinvent the Wheel. It's like Albion Dave's viewpoint is What's a cool ability or something, whether it's a monster ability or whatnot, mm-hmm. how do I apply that to kind of a cool item? And then how do I balance it? Like yeah. just a three step process that you can play around with. But it's I think it's very simple to to wrap a, even for new players, wrap their head around and uh, go for. So very cool. Yeah, um, I think that's a good way to approach it, uh, especially if you are. If you're not as familiar mechanically with like, what does this, you know, school of magic do or, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you can just kind of take three pieces. Like, what is something amazing that it can do? What's a drawback, a possible drawback? And then like something else to consider is ongoing cost. So does it require an attunement yeah. slot? Um, you know, uh, is, does it require a certain amount of energy? Do you have to sacrifice something, you know, to use mm-hmm. it? So, but yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really simple way to approach it. Yeah, good, good idea. I like that idea, uh, Dave. So you want to take the next one? Um, sure. So it looks like you've got uh, Durandal underscore 5150. Um, my group has altered GURPS to the point that it is close to no longer being GURPS, including total replacement of melee weapon damage calculations. What the attributes do in the specifics, a bunch of minor combat combat tweaks how armor penetration modifiers work the cost and function of combat skills and i'm probably forgetting a lot of things so on the complete opposite side of the scale of taking random things and applying to items you have people that homebrew and really customize their own tabletop rule system which i i would love to try my hand in sometime like making a simple tabletop rule set one day yeah, I I think 
the writing projects that I've been involved in, that's usually my my weakest area is developing the mechanics, like the math behind the mechanics is sometimes challenging for me. Um, but I think if you, especially if you play with a system that kind of makes it user friendly to help you develop something of your own, um, that's a great way to go. I, I also, this speaks to much crunchier D&D or eat tabletop, mm-hmm. I should say, since it's generic. Um, but this speaks to much a much crunchier uh, style of gameplay, um, which, I mean, if you can find the right group for that and it's compelling, 100% go for it. There is, I sometimes have fun um, as a player doing things like that, like tracking small things mm-hmm. and um, calculating things exactly right because there's a lot of satisfaction yeah. in getting it perfect. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. that's really, I mean... If the group is having fun, go for it. Yeah. I want to... I don't know why, but I have, I've had this kind of in-the-background obsession with the concept of making a tabletop rule system using Uno cards. I don't know how I would do it, <laughs> but I would, use, I would use Uno cards. Okay. So would you like... Okay. So, I don't know. My immediate thought is like, okay, each, like, number or... Uh, each card has to mean something, and then the colors could mean something else, and you could yeah, like, like make the colors could be like elements or something. Yeah, and it's like, how do you reverse? Is that like a, like a bounce back of a spell? Is it? Yeah, it's like, what do wilds do? What does wild draw for? Does that improve yours? Who? who? It's like, maybe a wild draw. Wilds are like a deck of many things draw. Like then you mm-hmm. pull from like a table or something, depending on what they say. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know why, but an, a I'm with tabletop you. You do system there. with Uno cards. You could do that. One day. One day. <laughs> when I'm not busy doing everything else I have to do. Right. Um, next up we have at TKW Dagfari from Twitter. They say, a couple of my newer, newer players were worried about constantly running out of spells, especially coming up to a big story point. So I introduced them to an alchemist who they helped make mana potions to recover spell slots. Depending on what they roll rolled, they get spell, spell slots back. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like this. I think what the main thing I like about this is that so I also am very, very soft for new players. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite type of game to run is for new people to D&D because mm-hmm. I love providing that framework so people can kind of dip their toes in in a safe yeah. place. But um, this individual like, spoke to their players, heard their concerns, and then built a mechanic based on what they were saying they needed to have a good time and enjoy themselves. Yeah. And it's a it's it's like on the surface level a very simple fix, but it addresses a lot more than mm-hmm. than just this mechanic, which I really like. Yeah. For something like this, I would like looking at it, it's a very simple fix. But I'm going just like, okay, I feel like that would be well, I'm looking at it from also my players' perspective and whatnot. It's like that could be easily broken if they just invest a lot. It's like but adding in, how, how would I balance it? Would I balance it? Would I add, like, yeah. you can only do one per day or something and because withdrawal or, or some sort of effect. But it... Yeah. And like we mentioned earlier, it's the that communication key that's so important and mm-hmm. such a, a big thing between players and the game masters. I've done something similar, uh, a similar... Well, not similar, but a, a mechanic, a system or ability, I should say, to let one of my magic casters in the party use magic after they don't have spell slots, but it basically takes away from their life total. So, like, Mm -hmm. 
it's the risk is, okay, I want to upcast this, but for every spell slot after that I don't have, it takes 10 life off. So if mm-hmm. you want to, you can cast something really high, but you're taking, okay, 50, 60, 70 points of damage yourself. Like, but yeah. turning your, in from a lore reason, turning your life force itself into the, the source of your magic. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, 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 I like it. It's, um, Good idea, Dagfari. That's a that's a good stuff. And props to you for talking with your players and working around there, uh, addressing their concerns. That's that's a sign of a good uh, DM for sure. Yeah. Want to take the next one? Um. Yeah. This is. <clears throat> let's see. Duragar. It's uh. Not spelled <laughs> as written, but it's different. Um, it looks like Durgar from Reddit um, mentioned uh, stowing and drawing a weapon as part of the same kind of action, which we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Um, that's just a way to make combat not feel as much of a slog as it can. 5e, you know, a common and I think justified criticism of 5e is that uh, the way combat is set up, it like it can really drag, especially at high levels or if you mm-hmm. have like. Uh, characters that can do multiple multiple turns in a turn type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a way to kind of just smooth out a little of the unnecessary crunch. Uh, they also talk about, uh, they said, I also don't use feats, but rather give the PCs customized abilities for their character class race, every handful of levels that fits with the story we've created so far. Um, and they just keep a running list. Uh, every time they make a new feat or a customized ability, they add it to the list uh, to keep track of it. So um, I like that. I like that because uh, sometimes there are feats, especially if you're talking about like traditional D&D, sometimes the feats that you can take, um, they are, they're neat. Like sometimes it's nice to have a plus one here or like bump your strength score by one or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I think sometimes it's more personally rewarding if you take something that your player really wants to get good at. Mm-hmm. Like they really want to get proficient with this thing or, or whatever, learn this skill and then build um, something around that. So I really like that approach. It's very, very cool. And yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's all sorts of different things. Like they mention. Um, the elephant in the room feet tax uh, from Pathfinder, which has all sorts of different rules and things you can apply. Martial mastery is gone, but combat feats like weapon focus now apply to just weapon groups. It, it's it's very interesting, and um, I'd recommend checking out Googling the elephant in the room feet taxes. Um, it's a really interesting read by Michael Ian Torno. Um, Who's, it looks like they've done a bunch of writing and other homebrew and stuff. So give that a check out um, for for me to more details. But yeah, it's, it's a fascinating read. Yeah. Um, next up, we have at Friggins from Twitter. They say last week I tested a custom car chase system I threw together that focused on being 90s action movie or fast and furious like ridiculousness. Set it up to allow player play, player characters to be creative in what they did without using spell slots while giving them more freedom to describe cool scenes. Yeah. I, I don't know if you do this, Chris, but if a care if my players describe what they're doing in a really cool way, I love giving them bonuses. Like, okay, that sounds yeah. really cool. Add X more dice or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I do something similar for me. It's like if they because the the dungeon master's guide and and really any system that has a good 
like debrief system or explanation mm-hmm. or set of rules, we'll say like, okay, if it's this hard and most people can do it, it's this difficulty. If it's this hard and not many people can do it, it'd be this. So mm-hmm. if you start with that and then your player's like, okay, I come up with this really radical plan to do X, Y, and Z, you're like, I'm going to lower the difficulty. Like, yeah. of course, that's the most awesome thing I've ever heard. Um, yeah, I also, uh, this kind of reminds me of like, if you're trying to do something that is different um, in, in, your, in a combat or like a chase, kind of like what Friggins mentioned, to keep things dynamic is you can like take out big chunks of the rule system. Just let people mm-hmm. say what they're doing. You say what happens as a result of what they're doing. Maybe roll a few checks here and there to like just to see how it's going. But, you know... Sometimes you can abandon the rules when they are like supposed to be the most important and you get really cool stories out of doing it like that. Yeah. You get those great memories that you will all look back on and remember and laugh about fondly. Um, Absolutely. Um, And I was just thinking, um, Connie Chung, I don't know if you're familiar with um, their work. Uh, They are the... GM of Transplaner mm-hmm. um, on Twitter. Um, fantastic show, but they, uh, he came up with like this uh, accelerated combat system that's a super Ooh. easy read. So if you are someone that's like, I I can't come up with the mechanics to make this go faster or seem smoother or more narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great resource I would check out. Um, I have done that with a couple of different uh, at a couple of different tables, um, both as a player and as a, a DM. And it, it's it's really rewarding if you are oh, someone cool. that, like, kind of wants to buy... You want them to... Especially yeah. if you're a spellcaster or, like, a, a fighter or whatever, you want to use your cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, the main thing you're excited about. So why not just do that part and cut all the extra stuff out? Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. That sounds cool. And how about you take the last one from someone you know fairly well... Oh my gosh, it's a D&D from Twitter. Uh, came up with my own aliens rule system before it was cool. Nightmare Before Christmas module, custom classes for um, Boxer, Chef, Nightwardum, and Phantasm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he mentions that he's responsible for this uh, yeah. system that we use for Stay Alive, which is... I guess you could call it a D6, but not really, because there's there's a few other things involved, but it's a very simple, easy to pick up mm-hmm. sort of game as a player. Um, it is a very different ap- approach, from, I think, from a game runner standpoint. So um, I haven't run the game myself, so I, I can't speak to the learning curve, but um, Deej makes it look easy. He makes everything look easy, but... Um, it's really fun, and I like that it is it is narrative focused. It's story forward. Um, thanks, Deej. <laughs> yeah, the thanks. best. Yeah, thanks for submitting. <laughs> uh, still waiting for that custom um, boat lawyer class, sir. <laughs> from our from your episode. <laughs> still waiting. Stay alive, boat lawyer. Um, oh my god. <laughs> Uh, But yes, thank you to each and every one of you who submitted your favorite homebrew rules or suggestions. We really appreciate them. And as always, down in the show notes, you can find links to places that you can share your own homebrew rules and things you use. But I can't wait to see them now. 
And we've talked a little bit about this as we've gone on, but as you've heard Chris and I talk about homebrew worlds and magic items and mechanics and everything, you might be wondering, it might be a bit overwhelming for you. So we're here to, we'll give you a little help in where to uh, get your start. So what tips or advice would you give new players or new homebrew creators, Chris, when making their first homebrew magic item? Um, their first item. Okay. I would say, um, one thing to keep in mind is obviously we've talked a little bit about balance, but what do you want the purpose of this item to serve? Is it going to propel your story forward? Is it just to give the party or, or player something really cool? Like decide what the purpose of it is, because that's really going to guide the decision-making process moving forward. Um, and then I would say that, um, Cause and effect, um, action and reaction, cost benefit, like make sure you're balancing the good and the bad for, for whatever item you're creating. If it doesn't do very much, if it's like a common item, you don't really have to worry about a drawback. If it's, if it's something someone would use as we would use an appliance, whatever. Um, if it's this world altering, life changing thing, like at what cost? Um, and make sure that it is, I would say it should be compelling, like a player's, for those scale um, of, of strength or rarity, um, sometimes it's interesting to make them choose whether mm-hmm. or not it's really worth it. Like, is this is the ability to speak every language really worth, uh, you know, me forgetting my own name mm-hmm. and the names of my family or whatever? Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're But <laughs> yeah, sometimes giving them a little bit of a conundrum is really fun within an item because you never know what they're going to do with that. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned if a... Uh, magic item is basically uh, one of our appliances. My mind just instantly went to the ring of blending. That's just basically <laughs> makes mixed drinks. A, a, a magic blender every day. Yeah, margarita. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I would abuse that magic item. Uh, we should so good. <laughs> the ring of margarita plus one. You get one plus one ring of margs. Yes, each with each level, you can make a different flavor of margarita. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I don't hate where this is going. I like it at all. See, and this is as easy as it is, folks. Just random <laughs> Just things. Like, yeah, that sounds cool. It's a ring that makes it's a magic item that makes margaritas. Hell yes. What's funny is like my players would be far more likely to abuse that yeah. than they would some like high level. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> some high level magic item. They'd be like, we're going to have marks all day, every yeah. day is every meal and you can't stop us. And I'm like, well, technically you're right because a long rest heals everything. So I guess I can't stop you. It's true. <laughs> An ancient wizard greets the party. We have a deck of many things that you can choose or the ring of Marg that creates <laughs> 1D4 like worth of mansion, mar- alcoholic beverages per day. But it's Margaritaville. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glorious. Just to open up their own little like margarita shop. Just the dude just with a magic ring constantly just using uh the margarita ring. That'd be fun. That'd be a good one. What a boon to a bartender, though. Or like. your bread and breakfast kind of little campaign thing you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Make a ring of margs. And you could have slight alterations like the ring of mimosa or Bloody Mary's ring. Mimosa is probably more appropriate for the, no, the B&B, right? Probably. Yeah. But no. Uh, for my tips, uh, kind of playing off of what Chris had said is know what you're making this magic item for. Is it going to be a one shot? If it's a one shot, 
make it powerful. You, know, you don't really have to deal with consequences as much if the players break the game. Well, it's only a one shot and in <laughs> rule of cool. Right. Um, but if you're adding this magic item in for like a long term story plot, like our two year plus campaign, we have to be a bit more cautious and careful about what we introduce um, mm-hmm. because you could have long, long running ramifications and effects. And what I like to do with my players when I do give them kind of custom things or abilities, I let them know ahead of time. It's like, hey, this is like version 0.5 of this item. If it's like a little too powerful, it might be adjusted slightly in the future. But just be forthcoming from the get go. If you if it's going to be kind of a living, breathing effect or magic item, just let them know this might be tweaked later on if I if it comes out being too strong. Let them Mm -hmm. know that ahead of time as opposed to just surprising them later on um that it might be coming oh yeah so it's all about that communication yeah i usually yeah and if i'm running something like i've been getting more into short-term campaigns Mm -hmm. that i want to run so a lot of times you'll give you'll say like okay you can take like one you know uncommon magic item or whatever um a lot of times I'll sit down with each player uh, and and create something together. I'm like, what, what would be something super cool that your character would have based on your backstory? And they would yeah. be like, oh, uh, I ran a short term campaign where this uh, one individual was um, a Triton and, you know, came from this uh, culture, this community under this under the water. Uh, and um, she wanted like a, a kind of like a magic mirror type of mm-hmm. thing that would like do different things. And so we sat down and just like, OK, can it do this? Cool. Um, what happens if you try to do this and it doesn't work? You know, okay, this mm-hmm. is what this is what happened in that case. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes you can sit down with the player yeah. whose item it, it's going to be and just act like, what do you want it to do? Yeah. Uh, and go from there. And it can spawn cool ideas and that yeah. person, that player may not have even thought of either. So it's all mm-hmm. for the betterment of the, the game. So... We are on to perhaps my favorite part of these tabletop episodes. Now, Chris, are you do you want to get classy or do you want to get racy? Um, let's get classy, 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 Saturday. Uh, Keeping it it classy, classy Saturday. I like it. So elegant, elegant. With this one, we are going to create a off the cuff homebrew class or subclass so oh my gosh chris what class or subclass (laughs) do you want to make immediate regret as my mind blanks out um (laughs) let's do a like let's do a bard subclass like some sort of okay uh maybe like some sort of visual artist of some kind Oh, um, interpretive dancing bard? The inter- interpretive dancer? Um, we could do, like, a college of miming bard. The mime bard. What a complete <laughs> 180 from your typical bar, uh, bard. A, a bard that makes his money and by not talking and By saying mute. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like this. I like this. Okay. So with the, so he, you become, you choose the mime school of Barb, the the school I of like silence. I like to think that the Barb. mime school chooses you. Like you don't choose mime life. Mime life chooses you. I love that. Definitely. It's a calling. So, what are a couple abilities 
like when you choose the mind or when the mind bard chooses you what abilities do you gain access to Ooh, um, maybe the thing that you're miming can become real. So, like, if you're miming sitting down at a table, the maybe you have manifested like an invisible set of uh, a k- kitchen table and chairs or something. So, whatever you mime creates becomes real. Like, you can do it so many times a day. Uh, maybe you make oh. a, a basic, like, a common melee weapon or whatever. You just like mime using a sword, and then you have an invisible sword. Let's see what what would you, I, I love that so imitation like what what would we call that um, you could call it yeah like imitation begets creation or something that sounds really really official and classy because <laughs> that's what we're going imitation for. begets creation okay so. Uh, should definitely be a charisma class for oh yeah, sure. Whatever you charisma and dex, I assume that you are interacting with becomes tangible for the next uh like minute, one hour, one hour. Yeah, I like it. Uh, uh, uses per day equals your proficiency bonus. Or your uh, proficiency. I would modifier. say equal to your charisma bonus. Yeah, your charisma modifier equals your charisma modifier. Yeah, why not? I like it. I like it. And let's give him one more. Um, oh gosh. Um, I'm trying to think of like how how I feel or how an interaction with a mime might affect a person, a non-mimer. Um, uh, what if it, he, like, once per day or something, they can create, like, a, a a dome of silence so, like, everyone has to mime? Oh, my God. Or, like, it removes <laughs> everyone's like ability that. except his, uh, or except theirs. Um, okay. I, okay, yeah, I like this. What if it's like, okay, it's some sort of like massive temporary AoE where if you're caught within, um, like maybe you can speak, but all of your language is like magically translated into you miming what you're trying to say (laughs) instead of saying it out loud. Bonus points if you can get your players to get up and actually do it. (laughs) You get modifiers and advantage with that stuff for sure. Yeah. Do as the mime does. Mm, I'm trying to think of a cool. See names. It's, mm. it's, it's again with the names. Um. What we... Whoa. Okay. Let's see. So, what does this ability do? It lets you make other people mime what they're trying to say within, like a. I don't know. I like to get. I like to get wild with it. What if it was like a 60 foot radius? Yeah. Just this massive, uh, huge circular area. Um. What if we called it? Dome of Mimitude. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Dome of Mimitude. What if it's like we need what? Okay, I'm trying to think of like what movies or or media has featured like Silence of the Mimes or something. Um, that's that's mine. That is classy. Yeah, <laughs> Silence of the Mimes. Something like that. Some kind of. No, we're going with Silence of the Mimes. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, so 60 foot 
dome. Yeah. Creates a dome of silence that any caught inside must make performance checks in order to uh, Okay, so so there should be some sort of save, right? So yeah. maybe there's like a charisma save if you if you succeed on the save mm-hmm. um, then what should be your reward for succeeding on the save? You can still talk? Maybe you can still talk, but it only the caster can hear you speak. But you can still talk. And then on a failed save, no one can hear you say anything. And instead, all attempts to verbalize any language come out as like interpretive dance slash miming <laughs> physical movements. Uh, and you can make a charisma save at the end of uh, every turn. Yeah. That way, if you know you got a caster caught in it and they succeeded, they could still try to get either fight their way out of it or cast their way out of it, but Christmas saves are tough. So, silence of mind, 60-foot radius stone with a charisma save that, if you save, it allows you to still be heard by the caster and speak uh, speak normally without miming. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you don't have to mime if you succeed. Normally. But on a failed save... Uh, a creature is silenced and any words they attempt to speak forces them to instead act out the words as interpretive miming. <laughs> this is so, so random. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's go for it. Yeah. And I would say like an innate ability would be uh, silent casting where they, the mime bards can forego the verbal. Oh yeah. There's no verbal. Yeah. I love it. Love it. That's awesome. So, like, the actual silent spell from someone else wouldn't affect mm-hmm. them in that way. That's pretty rad. Pretty rad. So, yes, there we go. We have the basics of the mime subclass of Bard, which gains, grants you imitation begets creation, which will allow the mime uh, Bard, whenever they are interacting or whatever they are miming that they are interacting with, it becomes tangible for one hour and it uses... Uh, uses equals the their charisma modifier and their silence of the minds, the 60 foot radius dome that forces players to act out their words on a failed charisma save or on a successful save allows them to still speak although they will only be heard by the caster of the dome and their innate ability is silent casting which makes means they no longer need the verbal component of a spell to cast I like this it. This is so weird and I love it so much. It's great. I love this. <laughs> this is why I love this. Like I've had like, yeah, it's been, it's, this is a, I, a wild segment for each episode. So thank you <laughs> for helping me create it. And who knows, feel free. I mean, feel free to use the mind bard in your homebrew world. Uh, Chris, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, just putting up those silence domes everywhere and forcing your players to mime and, you interpretive dances. It'd be great. <laughs> they would get so annoyed so fast. <laughs> Reward them with a ring of margarita and they'll be fine. That's true. You know what? And that's what we're talking about. Balance. Yeah, it's all about balance. There you <laughs> go. There you go. But that is going to do it for another episode. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. This was so much fun. It was great Thank talking you. to you. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Um, but where can people find you online? What do you have cooking? Go ahead and plug away. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I said at the top of the episode, my name is Chris Gideon. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kiss of Hemlock. Uh, currently, I am a TTRPG actual play podcaster and streamer. So I've got a couple different productions going. Um, a cast member on Stay Live, which you can find on the Freeforge channel on Wednesday evenings. Um, we just uh, did our season two uh, midseason premiere last week, and it was wild <laughs> now is a perfect time to get caught up um you will be hooked i promise it's so good i'm also a cast member on the fay forge academy podcast which drops every friday also wild there's so much stuff happening in both of these <laughs> games it is uh, a lot of fun um Currently, I am. I have a couple of other things in the works. Um, unfortunately, nothing I can discuss just yet, but hopefully um, I'll have some new things popping up on people's timelines here shortly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, be sure to follow Chris on Twitter so you know when they announce all those awesome, awesome new things. And and check Chris out on those shows. They're fantastic shows. Um, so give them a listen as well. But thank you to each and every one of you today who's listened. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service, as I'd really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like us to feature on an episode, tweet at underscore RPG University with the hashtag RPGU with your suggestion. Or you can share your own favorite RPGs or homebrew directly with me on Twitter at Professor RPG. As always, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. May you always roll high. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.